meeting will begin at 535. And Brenda, can you start with roll call, please? Yes. Lorita Mallon? Lorita Mallon? Present. Richard Harvey Jr. Present. Lucia Angel. Neha Banger. Present. B. Franks Walker. Present. Eric Murphy. Mark Smith. Khalil Toki. Present. Ali Yessing. We have a quorum. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Um, I do have one item to announce to all of you. Uh, do you? I hope you all got the email that Brenda sent out about filling out the um, 700 form, and uh, it has to be signed. With, in blue ink, and it has to be for uh, actually mailed back to her. They can't do electric copies on this. So if you have any questions or you didn't get the um, email, just let Brenda know and she'll resend it to you. But she needs all of these by March 25th. So all of us need to have that done by March 25th. It's page five. It's only one page that you actually have to fill out. The rest is uh, reading material. Any questions? Okay. So, go on. Brenda can also, I will just also add that um, Brenda can also send it to you in the mail with a self-addressed stamped envelope. Oh, yes. Or she can even just send the envelope to you if you need an envelope to get it back to her with a stamp and an address on it. So. She can right. help in many ways to help you get that back to us. Absolutely. Thank you, Heather. Okay, we have an action item on item B, and um, can I get a motion to approve our minutes from February 8th and also the resolution authorizing teleconferencing meetings pursuant to AB 361? I, I uh, Richard, move to accept the minutes from our previous meeting as well as accept, well, wait. <laughs> yeah. Adopt the resolution. Yeah, the document. Wait, what is it called again? I'm sorry. Well, yeah. the remote teleconference. Oh, wait. The adopt resolution authorizing remote teleconference um, meeting per pursuit to AB 3361. I'm sorry. And can someone second that? Today. <laughs> I need second that. Thank you. Brenda, okay. can you take a vote on that, please? Okay. Um, Lorita Mallon? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I will call your name for the vote and please state yes or no. Lorita mm -hmm. Mallon? Yes. Witcher Harvey Jr. Yes. Luce, Lucy Angel. Neha Banger. Yes. B. Franks Walker. I wasn't in attendance. She 
You can still vote for this. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, Eric Murphy, Mark Smith, Khalil Toki. Ali Yessing, the motion pass. Thanks, Brenda. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, okay, Madam Chair, if you don't mind, I'll take yes, it into closed session. Okay, mm -hmm. so we'll go into closed session for a public employee performance evaluation of Dr. Damon Francis, medical director. Um, Heather, if you don't mind moving us into the right rooms and then we'll reconvene for open session following closed session. I'm working on it and I am making it happen right now. <laughs> you are now in a breakout session. Um, David, if you wouldn't be here, what am I doing here? <laughs> shame, shame, shame. <laughs> if you don't mind, um, kick me out, or I'll just I'll, I'll call back in in twenty minutes. There we go. Is that everybody? I think so. Nope, I think we're missing. Yeah. Oh yeah, Neil. You will be moved I'm to the main session now. Cool. You are now in the main I'm session. I'm glad to be there. Catherine didn't join. That's fine. Um, I think it's okay over there. Is that okay? Yes, thank you. Yeah, we gave Damon a really hard time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Looks like everyone's back. There's nothing to report out after closed session. Okay, great. Um, so I just want to make sure, Brenda, you can um, unpress pause on the recording. Okay, thank you. Okay, so we're back in session. Okay. Um, item C is our um, medical director's report. Dr. Francis. I just wanted to give two quick updates um, in this section. Um, one is something that I sent to uh, Loretta and Mark Smith, who we designated as um, our liaisons to the ad hoc governance committee. If you all remember, I think it was back in April of 2021. Um, at the time, the board of supervisors led by Wilma Chan at the time um, was evaluating the approach to governance at Alameda Health System, you know, given the, um, the, you know, major things that happened, including, you know, the dismissal of the prior board of trustees and the reseating of a new board of trustees, um, and, you know, the resignation of a large number of our executives at Alameda Health System. Um, there was a process to begin reevaluating how that governance structure looks and the consulting firm HMA came in and you know talked to some folks and did an evaluation of that and we felt as a co-applicant board that it was really important to have more consumer voice in the process and that led us to designate um, Mark and Laura as liaisons to that process to try to you know understand at least what 
on, what sorts of things were being considered. And I think, you know, in addition to that, there are potential implications very specifically for our co-applicant board depend, that depend upon the governance arrangement between the board of supervisors and the board of trustees because of how the grant flows and the nature of the regulations that, you know, set up the homeless health center. So the process of the board of supervisors making a decision about whether they want to change anything about the governance structure has started up again. And they're going to have a series of meetings like every two weeks or so through June um, where they'll discuss multiple issues and then really land on some, um, some decisions that they've made about how the, how the, um, how the governance should be, you know, restructured or, or if it won't be changed at all, that it won't be changed at all. Um, and, um, and so uh, we just, sent the outline of that process to Loretta and Mark. Um, and what I've asked is for um, Kayla to do some analysis of that and to bring it back to a future meeting for us to understand the implications of the co-applicant board and to also figure out if there's any way that we can be involved in the process. Um, so we'll hopefully be bringing that back as a formal agenda item in, in the future. But that's one of the updates that I wanted to, to give you all. Any questions about that before I go to the next update. All right. Um, so for the next update, so um, some of you may be aware because I think an email went out um, that I've accepted a temporary responsibility as the primary care lead for um, the outpatient clinics uh, for, for ambulatory at Alameda Health System. So, as you all know, part of that wave of executive departures included um, Dr. Babaria, who was the, the um, chief administrative officer for all of ambulatory. And um, many of us took coverage roles on um, when Dr. Babaria left. So I've been covering some of the system-wide responsibilities, working with our IT systems, working with quality um, other Physicians have covered some of the other physician responsibilities for primary care and specialty care. Um, and then Catherine Horner, who's our uh, vice president, has also stepped into the interim uh, chief administrative officer role. So Dr. D. Ghosh, who is already the medical director for urgent care and for employee health, was covering the primary care lead role. And he has stepped down from that role. And so they asked me to fill that responsibility. Um, I did call and check in with Loretta and called and checked in with Lucia, who really, you know, knows um, the healthcare system well, just to, just to make sure, um, you know, I, I understood some viewpoints from the co-applicant board around the potential trade-offs and accepting the responsibilities, um, which are supervising the medical directors of all the wellness center sites um, and running some of the collaborative structures for the primary care um, you know, leadership to, to meet together and, and um, come up with policy and practice recommendations across our system. Um, and so um, with their input, I decided to go ahead and accept the role. I think it makes sense to do for a few months, much as I acknowledge that I think we're continuing to kind of loan homeless health center staff to like larger system issues. And it does, it does you know, have the potential to take away from our ability to achieve our mission, but of course, on the flip side, 
our mission is entirely enacted through the ambulatory care system of Alameda Health System. So right. if they need support, you know, uh, supervising the primary care um, leads and the primary and the medical directors, then that kind of makes sense to do within our mission too. So okay. we're hoping that um, it's something like uh, you know three to four months before we're able to um, fill the role that Dr. Rabaria vacated, and in, at that point in time, you know, those responsibilities would return to that role, and I would return to just. Um, I would really be relieved of both the system coverage responsibilities and the primary care responsibilities and come back to working in, you know, for the health center with all my, all my time at AHS. Um, but I wanted to make sure you guys were kind of aware of some of the details around that since um, it definitely, you know, affects my abilities to follow up on things here. Okay. Any questions? Amy? Okay, thank you, Damon. Um, we're gonna go on to item D, which is um, about the Board of Trustees meeting, which takes place tomorrow. So Damon, you wanna fill us in? Yes, so this is uh, the culmination really of our um, approach to strategic planning, which was really designed to be able to um, transform the way that we interact with the Board of Trustees around, you know, establishing priorities for the health center. So, you know, I think you'll remember that when we kicked off the process in the summer last year, our goal was really to be done by January or so, so that we could influence the budget process for Alameda Health System for 2022-2023. And so when we completed our plan, um, we were able to then, you know, package it and um, present it to the Board of Trustees and hopefully initiate a conversation about how some of those things we've prioritized, um, you know, via our strategic plan are actually implemented through, through one of the more critical decision-making processes at the Board of Trustees, which is the budget process. So, um, so we'll be presenting tomorrow as a co-applicant board to the Board of Trustees. They've given us 20 minutes on the agenda. And what I wanted to do today was just to run through the presentation. Um, we have a couple co-applicant board members who are already signed up to actually make elements of the presentation and then others of you who will definitely be present for the discussion. But I think as we go through the presentation today, if there are elements of the presentation that people wanna jump in and, and provide, I think that would be great. I think you know the main goal is really to start to establish a stronger relationship between the co-applicant board and the board of trustees and for them to meet you and for you to meet the board in a, in a pretty formal context. Um, and then also obviously to share something general just about the health center, about the co-applicant board, and then about our strategic plan and what our hopes are for this year. So I think the more time, you know, that our co-applicant board members aside from me are presenting, um, the better. And, you know, the more um, time we have for discussion um, with you all, the better too. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll pause there and just see if there's any thoughts and then we can jump into the presentation. Any, um, I don't think we'll come back to the memo. So um, any, any comments on the memo before we go to the presentation that, um, that anyone wants to make or anything they want to highlight from that that's, that's important in the discussion or, or presentation? Mm -hmm. 
reason for wanting to be involved with the Board of Trustees was to make sure that they were in alignment with with our goals, you know, that we, we were both on the same page and that when monetary decisions had to be made, um, that if we requested more money for something, they would understand why we needed it and so forth. Isn't that correct, Damon? That's a big part of it, yeah. I think, yeah. you know, where where we choose to put investment and spend money is, is a big part of, you know, what the Board of Trustees are ultimately responsible for. There's also other things like, you know, internal policies, for example, um, you know, we're going to hear later about our self-pay patients um, and the policy structure around that. You know, we share some responsibility with the Board of Trustees to set policies like that. So, you know, the budget isn't the only area, but it's a really critical area um, to support, you know, the priorities that we have that we think will make homeless people healthier.
he's in our clinic all the time, just not when he has an appointment. Like he's, he's, <laughs> he's always coming in and saying, like, I'd like to be seen. And, of course, right. like, you know, it's like, well, we'll schedule you for an appointment when Dr. Francis is here. Um, and so, you know, I think this is just one data point that confirms something that homeless providers around the country and around the world have known for a long time, that, you know, having to make an appointment to get health care is, is a pretty major barrier to, to services, and including in our own system. Mm-hmm. We can go to the next slide. Um, so, you know, our homeless health center is about addressing access issues like this, and this is just, you know, um, to, to um, have an opportunity to read our more expansive mission that we developed in this strategic planning process, um, which I won't read here, but this is also you know, a place um, that someone could jump in and we can come back at the end maybe and see if people are interested once they see the whole presentation and which parts maybe um, people might be interested in presenting. But I think this would also be an opportunity to talk about elements of the mission that you know, spoke to us as a, as a co-applicant board, how we really pulled from our National Health Care for the Homeless partners, um, you know, and others to, to have this more expansive definition um, than, than what was actually in our co-applicant agreement initially. Um, we can go to the next slide. Um, so this is just a, a slide to give an overview for the Board of Trustees of the health, Homeless Health Center by the numbers and help them kind of wrap their heads around what we are as a homeless health center, which can be pretty hard to understand. Um, so um, our physical locations are the four wellness center sites out of the six ambulatory locations. Um, so sites two, three, five, and uh, four and five on the map to the right. That um, in 2021 we saw 3,500 uh, unduplicated patients experiencing homelessness or housing insecurity, mostly actually folks experiencing housing insecurity. Um, that we saw those folks in about 19,000 visits. And that our budget's um, $8.2 million, um, which is about 62 FTE, and represents really the, the, the way to kind of get your head around it is it's about 6% of the ambulatory services budget. So you, you really think about our homeless health center is this virtual center that's comprised of about 6% of, what, of, of all of ambulatory. Um, and then um, next slide. Um, so this one, I don't know if Mark's on yet, but this is one that Mark actually wanted to deliver to talk about our co-applicant board and make sure, you know, we kind of ground, I think the board of trustees has, you know, received this information before, but we really grounded who we are, what our authorities are, um, what we're responsible for, et cetera. So I think Mark is going to make, um, you know, this general introduction to the co-applicant board for us and, uh, and um, highlight some of the points that are important to him about why he joined the board and what he hopes the board you know, can accomplish in partnership with the Board of Trustees. Mark is not on right now, um, but he's meeting me here tomorrow, so I know he's gonna be on tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Next slide. Um, so this is just, uh, to connect our work to health equity um, more directly and explicitly, since that's been a huge topic of conversation at Alameda Health System and I think around healthcare more recently, that the community health center structure um, really has health equity built in. Um, it's you know got consumer-led governance, um, which is of course what our board represents. Um, it's the um, services are developed and justified that are 
based on an assessment of the community health needs, not just the needs of a particular group of patients or designing sort of healthcare as a business service, but really designing it as a public health intervention. Um, and that services are required for all people regardless of their ability to pay. And that's really founded on, you know, the, the model that was developed by Dr. Geiger, who's on the left, and Dr. John Hatch, who he's a, a PhD doctor, I think. He has a doctorate in sociology, and he was a social worker, and he was uh, the son of a preacher in the South, and really um, was a major um, designer of the governance structure uh, for, for the health centers, which was really based on wanting to make a governance structure that would be familiar to people who worked in black churches in the South. Um, and so, you know, we are all living the legacy of what was developed during the civil rights movement as a really, really, you know, explicit, um, you know, social justice initiative for the health of, um, you know, black people and poor people in the United States. Um, and these, these elements of the way our governance is designed are directly connected to this history of health equity. And I think it's, it's a really important history for people to understand. So I included some links there too for people to listen to stories. Jack Geiger was taken in as a homeless teenager who'd run away from home um, by an African-American uh, actor who was like a luminary in the Harlem Renaissance, Canada Lee. Um, so, you know, even Jack Geiger's origins are really, are really kind of in, in the history of African-American struggle in, uh, in the United States. Next slide. Um, so, um, you know, from that kind of big picture vantage point on health equity, I wanted to focus in on what kind of emerged from us in strategic planning as a key element of the current state of our system, which is that we have really solid approaches to improving access for people experiencing homelessness that we're implementing in Alameda Health System. Um, so if you look at this chart, you'll see on the left side is all the different sites where we provide care, the mobile health clinic, the bridge clinic, um, where, you know, we provide medically assisted treatment for substance use disorders, and then our general sort of categories of other services. And then next to that, you'll see the number of um, patients who are people experiencing homelessness and the percentage those patients represent of the, of the entire percentage of patients. So you can see at mobile health and bridge clinic, you know, a high percentage of the people that we serve in those places are people experiencing homelessness. And part of that is because we've designed these approaches that include drop-in approaches um, that make it much more easy for patients like the one I described earlier to actually receive care. Um, you know, there are other elements like mobile services, having a streamlined registration process in mobile health, and having community health workers that are also really helpful. So we at Alameda Health System really know that we can do things that work to improve access for people experiencing homelessness. I think these numbers really show that. But the flip side on the next slide is that, go to the next slide, Brenda. Yeah, that uh, where we see the highest numbers of people experiencing homelessness and where we, you know, where our system's the biggest, we're not really using a lot of these approaches to improve access for people experiencing homelessness. So our urgent care system, still isn't really a drop-in system, even urgent care. Our specialty care and our primary care definitely, you know, doesn't have much drop-in access unless you count, you know, medically assisted treatment and the specialty care element. And so um, this is, I think, you know, a, a big thing that we wrestled with in our strategic planning process about what our system currently looks like. Um, 
strategic planning process work, um, you know, that we really leverage these partnership meetings, looking at needs assessments that, you know, people like David and others have produced and being able to use the secondary analysis from those and that, you know, really it came from our, our co-applicant board looking across all the things that we've present, been presented, all the people that we talked to, what are the themes that were really important to us? And you can see like the things that got four little tick marks on here, you know, among them is what's in the center, dropping in and on-demand services, which, you know, we're emphasizing in this presentation in our strategic plan, among other, among other elements, the need to address disparities, the need to work on prevention, et cetera. Um, but I just wanted to really emphasize for folks that this was a, this was a process that was really driven by the priorities that you know, that you all set as a, as a board for us and that, um, that, you know, this is what it looked like. You know, we were in a meeting, you know, really, really talking about the issues and really thinking about what we felt mattered on the basis of our own experiences and perspectives, you know, that, that we bring to this. Um, next slide. And then I, I kind of emphasize um, some of the shifts that, I think I came to, but I feel like we came to as a co-applicant board, um, but I really came to via the input from the co-applicant board. So, you know, that as a, as a staff, like when Heather and I are sitting down going like, how do we make things better? That a lot of this process really helped kind of change the questions that we're asking. So a lot of what we've like asked, you know, in partnership meetings with healthcare for the homeless or with other folks, it's like, how do we help this person get from this low barrier setting? We make these low barrier settings for people to get in and see us. How do we get from there to primary care, right? So we're like trying to use the mobile health clinic as a bridge to another place. The bridge clinic is even called bridge because it's the bridge to like a primary care setting. And that just hasn't worked that well. And, you know, it has kind of a ceiling to its effectiveness. And I think we kind of talked a lot about that, the idea of like on-demand and drop-in services in our planning process. And we've shifted to asking more of the question like, how can we just meet all this person's health needs wherever they are? You know, if they can show up here, how do we do the most we can do for them in that context? I'm moving from this idea of like anchoring on the appointment, which is really this huge barrier to like, okay. you know, anchoring on how we create drop-in availability and access. I think the other two big shifts we made were shifting from focusing on, you know, our grant spending to thinking about how the revenue we have it support, supports our entire mission. And then moving from this sort of concept of referrals to these deeper collaborations, you know, I think most, most especially with um, our internal collaborators, like the Bridge Clinic and the, you know, the complex care management team and saying like, you know, it's not enough to refer into Bridge or to refer to Lily's team. Like we really need to be thinking about how we collaborate from the beginning around housing and, and primary care for those folks. And so in light of those questions, then we um, develop goals, which I think begin on the next slide. Um, and so our first goal is, as you guys all well know, maximize the care that people experiencing homelessness receive for acute and chronic illnesses at the earliest opportunity and in the locations and settings that work best for them. Um, and this is really a shift in how we're approaching the idea of like, well, let's create low barrier settings and, you know, and, and, and then, and then bridge people to primary care appointments. And so our early focuses are going to be on sustaining the bridge clinic and expanding the services they provide there and making sure we bring dental services into our mobile setting because we know it's such a huge need. But really, over the course of the three-year strategic plan, we hope to work on a bunch of other opportunities 
to do this, to maximize care that people receive at the earliest opportunity and in places that make sense for them as people, you know, who are struggling with homelessness or housing insecurity. So our second goal on the next slide, which is to ensure sustainable funding and infrastructure to support existing and expanded services. And here I put some funding sources, Health PAC, Measure A, the QIP program that I think our Board of Trustees are familiar with, but may not be familiar with the fact that to date, as a co-applicant board, we have not provided input into how these funding sources are allocated in the Alameda Health System. And I think we would very much like to remedy that um, and truly you know, share responsibility for governance on the allocation of these revenue sources that, by the way they're designed, seem like they're sure about helping homeless people access outpatient services. Um, and so I think this is a place where we need to be very clear as a co-applicant board that we've not yet provided input into this and it, we would like to rectify that. And that's gonna take new relationships with the board of trustees and it's gonna take, um, it's gonna take some financial capacity development for our, both our staff and, and our co-applicant board itself. Okay. And then the third goal, I think Loretta was gonna bring us home on the third goal. You want to go ahead and talk about this, <laughs> Okay, sure. Um, well, as it says, goal number three is to create lasting relationships between um, the different care teams that uh, can help these people experiencing ho homelessness and um, also to follow up with our patients to make sure that their housing and their primary care needs are met. Um, I think there's a disconnect there somehow, or I'm not quite sure the reason, but um, it could just be a lack of staff, um, whatever it is. We don't really follow up on our patients like we should, as much as we should. Um, and I think that that's probably one of the most important things, to me anyway, is besides providing the health care that we also provide them especially a place to lay their head you know some type of housing whether it's temporary or whatever but they getting them off the streets and by doing that i think they'll be much more um i guess in agreement to come to the care clinic the primary care clinic and to make their appointments and because you know now they have a home or a room or whatever it is in that's theirs and uh, now they if there's an appointment made they, they know they can go from their home that that day to the clinic and get served where when they're on the streets everything is just so miscombobulated and you know they don't know what they're going to be doing the next hour so this is a real important goal for me Great. Um, that rounds out the three the three goals that we have, and then um, I was going to finish up the last slide with just our um, our asks of the board of trustees. Which the last time we went and presented, the board of trustees said, "Tell us what you need. Please come back." And so um, this is uh, I think this is the help that we need. Um, yeah. We need to make sure that patient representatives. Patient representation happens in governance and decision making in our system, um, and um, you know that I think begins with conversations like these between our um, majority, you know, consumer board and the board of trustees. Um, 
We need the Board of Trustees to put Alameda Health System money where our rhetoric is on health equity. We really need more ambulatory drop-in access for a homeless population that's disproportionately black and disproportionately disabled. This is not an abstract issue of health, health equity. These are people who are disproportionately, you know, in groups that are vulnerable, that have been marginalized historically, that, you know, I think our system can be much better designed for, and we need to invest in it, and we need the Board of Trustees to invest in it if we want to design the system to work better and differently than it does now. It needs to be invested in differently than it is now. Um, and then finally, I think we need the Board of Trustees to clarify what Alameda Health System means by serving all. Um, is it about centering people who are most excluded or actively marginalizing them? And by that, I mean the, an example of centering is everyone home. So when we talk about everyone home, which is our umbrella organization in Alameda County for ending homelessness, the idea of everyone home focuses us all on the people who don't have a home. And, and we use the universal language to include people. Um, but when you say all lives matter, right after someone says black lives matter, that's, a, that's an example of using universalism to actively marginalize a group of people, right? That's why activists get so upset when people say all lives matter. All lives, of course, matter. But that's being said in a context where it's being used to marginalize the idea that black lives matter. And I really worry in our system about the way we're using this idea of serving all. I think when the Alameda Health System established this mission, it was very clear what serving all meant. Um, but at this point in time, it's not clear at all what it means. I think um, we're, we're not clearly centering the most excluded with this mission. We're talking about using the mission to justify serving other populations of people who are who other people are competing to serve. And I think it would be very helpful if our board of trustees anchored that mission in a, in a clear commitment to health equity and a clear commitment to the most excluded. Mm -hmm. I, I really like this point, Damon. And, and I really like you questioning the serving all. So I think with that, we'll end up turning towards the discussion, which um, hopefully, you know, will give each of you, I think, who are present, um, a chance to, you know, share your thoughts. Um, I think to the extent we get questions from the Board of Trustees, you know, certainly in my role as kind of the coordinator and, and main presenter, I'll definitely try to filter questions, you know, and, and comments to you all um, to be able to make the, the points that you want to make. Um, but I think as you saw, like, there's a there's a slide in there that Mark really felt strongly about presenting and a slide in there that Loretta felt strongly about presenting. And so I'm also happy to, you know, to make sure that we include folks in the presentation if, if someone wants to be part of uh, presenting. So I'll just pause there and hear any, you know, reflections or proposals or ideas from you all about the, the presentation tomorrow. I like it overall. It's short, straight to the point. It explains who we are and what we're here for. Thanks. Well, thanks, Richard. Were there any parts that you that you you know felt you really wanted to emphasize, or that you wanted to participate in the in the presentation, or that you want to make sure in the discussion, you know, we can we can pull out your voice for? Um. Really. I would like to just be 
there so I could be able to add into the conversation about being able to have drop-in access. That's really okay. important. Um, I can't stress it enough. I know people who they might not necessarily technically be homeless, but they have someone that's somewhere to stay. But just being able to have the ability to drop in and get care is really important. Um, and oftentimes, just being told having an, you have to have an appointment is discouraging. And sometimes those oh, yeah. don't come back. Yeah. Until something really drastic happens. Mm-hmm. Or it builds the narrative that um, health, health employees don't want to help homeless people, which is not the case. Mm-hmm. That's great. I mean, I think also the personal stories, you know, that really help explain, you know, how this falls on people are going to be really critical. So that's, that's, that's really important for you to say, I think, tomorrow. Anyone else? Maybe you're not going to be with us, I know. Are, is there anything that you want to make sure we we say on your behalf or ask on your behalf? No, I think you've covered everything, and you've done a very good job of covering it. But I agree. I, I do believe that the emphasis, as I'm sitting here, um, many times I don't feel the need that I need to go to the urgent care. And I'm going to just say my experience, and I'm not homeless. I do need to go to urgent care, but because it's such a hassle to go, I have to sit and wait such a long time. Um, And if you call, you don't get ample care. There's nobody there to really respond to you. It's just impersonal. And I don't know if that has to do with race or if the people are just busy. Or maybe they don't know how careless they sound. Which really go, ties into, like, the quality of care. If we yeah. perpetuate the idea of quality care, then how is it that we're not able to service the people that that needs the service? Right. Being, like, the most. Yeah. The most. And And... People going to the emergency room, using the emergency room as their quote-unquote primary care is um, so ineffective. I mean, yes, the doctor can help them, you know, for the reason they came in, but they're not running tests to find out what else is going on, and they're not following up with them. They, they tell them there, follow up with your primary care provider. Well, most of them don't have that. Don't have one. And then just, you know... Another point, too, is using the emergency room as a primary care is so costly to our health system, very expensive, you know, and that's another reason why we need to get these people, you know, make it uh, the drop-in clinic available to them so that they don't have to go to the emergency room. And, you know, a lot of them go, and I'm sure you've seen this too, Damon, a lot of them will go at night when it's raining or cold and they have nowhere to stay. And so just by being in the building and getting wait, uh, waiting to get calls um, is safe for them, you know? And, and that's sad. That's, that's, that's very sad. Yeah, but it gives them shelter. Right. 
And then there's a cultural thing, too, that I also realized is that with many Blacks, I don't know about the other populations, but many Blacks really don't trust doctors because most times their experience has been that they didn't really get good care. Yeah. They just didn't get good care. It was like they just push them off on somebody. Mm-hmm. Or don't worry about it. You can go home, take cough syrup, and it'll go away. And the people have died of cancer or something. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't go. They don't really go. I, I, I live in the doctor's office, you can tell. <laughs> I've missed meetings because I've been at the doctor's office. But so many people don't do that, and particularly blacks. I think that's why that first bullet point is so critical, because I think it's just easy to lose sight of, of yeah. those issues when you're dealing with sort of patients in this aggregate way, and you're dealing with large budget numbers and, you know, abstract sort of documents. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important in those, you know, high-level conversations to make sure that we never forget that we're talking about people who are patients, you know, who are patients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think Neha had a couple times tried to chime in there. Yeah, it's okay. I was well, going to ask um, if there is, uh, you know, if, if we got questions on, you know, what if you're li- if you're wanting to put more money in, then then what is what do you think will uh, will move the you know the needle and and how would we respond to that? Or if we get questions on uh, you know if we ask questions around is it about censoring those most excluded or actively marginalizing them? And we get que- asked questions on how would we do that things differently. Um, you know, how would we respond to to raising those issues? Yeah, I think our plan has abundant answers already. Um, so, you know, for the money thing, like we have milestones that are really about bridge clinic sustainability and getting the dental service off the ground and then exploring what other, you know, ambulatory facilities have space, you know, so th- those things are already in the plan. Um, so we don't really need to as a board, we've already come together around those questions and have, have some answers. I think similarly in terms of the how, I think this idea of analyzing these, you know, ele- elements of revenue is, you know, again, it's already in our plan. It's something we've already emphasized as a co-applicant board. So I would kind of go back there and say, these are the starting places. Like, let's look at Measure A and Health Pack and QIP and understand them and understand, like, how they're currently allocated and how they might be allocated better towards the sort of programmatic ideas that we have. Um, And I think my tendency would be, you know, to respond with the plan. And I think as a, as a, you know, as board members, I think that would also work for you all since it's like work that we've already done. And I think answers those questions, you know, fairly well. You know, I have Um, a story too, Damon, about the um, urgent care. Um, my, I have a neighbor who's 70 years old. She's an African-American woman who's had four strokes. And um, she lives directly above me. Her home, she's not able to cook. She's not able to do house cleaning. Nothing, really. And um, she goes to this 
urgent care clinic to get her medical needs met. And she's been doing this for years. And I, I finally, I got so irritated with that clinic. I said, why haven't they made it a point to get her a primary care doctor? You know, urgent care is not going to follow up on her. She needs a primary care doctor. So I went with her to her appointment, and I asked the doctor straightforward. I said, this is not a place where she should be going to, to get help for the, all the medical needs that she has. Why haven't you suggested or, or made arrangements for her to get a primary care provider? And, of course, you know, oh, yes, you know, everybody needs a primary care provider. That That's what their response was. But, but this comes back to the point in we need more advocates, you know, to follow up and to do things. In our urgent care, in our emergency room, I don't know how it's going to happen. I know it's going to take money and it's going to take people. And um, that's that's what we're lacking. But anyway, to make a long story short, I did get her, I, I set her up with a primary care doctor. I went with her to her, um, her visits and I explained everything to her doctor and I'm going to go with a few more visits with her to make sure she gets all the services that she needs. I mean, that's what we need, right? That's the perfect exactly. example. That's, that's, like, that's exactly I what we need. I, I consider myself an advocate, you know. Right. I've been an advocate for myself and for many other people. Right. And, and that's what we need. And I, and I think, again, this shows up in the data in this presentation, you know, in, in that that is the function of the substance use navigators, you know, who are community health workers in the bridge clinic, right? It's, mm -hmm. They're always accessible. They do everything they can to make sure that people can get to the service. And um, as you said, it takes money, it takes people. Those are the people we're spending money on who are doing this work, and we've demonstrated they're successful. Now we need to make sure that they're, you know, in sustainable jobs, in a sustainable program that's, you know, managed in a way that, that is going to keep going for a long period of right. time, not just as a research project that's dependent on, you know, right. grant funding. Right. Hi, um, this is Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. Oh, you missed your slide. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I, I've been listening. Um, as everyone knows, um, I, I've, I've been stressing since last year um, and looking forward to the time that we would be able um, to have some uh, uh, some sit down uh, with the Board of Trustees and we get a chance to do that tomorrow. And just listening to um, some of the concerns Loretta and others have, um, I certainly have the same concerns and I, um, that's why I've always stressed uh, that it would be a good idea for us to be able to meet on a regular basis. Uh, we can determine later what that means uh, to meet with the Board of Trustees because if, we, if we're able to come um, to an agreement or a, certainly a meeting of the minds between ourselves and the Board of Trustees in terms of the goals that we would like to accomplish, uh, I think it's important that we do have regular Sit downs with them so that we can, um, so that uh, they can keep us focused, and we can keep them. More importantly, keep them focused uh, on what we believe um, the, the main goal of the program, uh, the main goals that we want to see the program um, succeed at. And I think we should let them uh, know that and how we think that's important to uh, for us to be more successful um, and. Um, and also uh, create a better, create um, even a better program than we currently now have. 
Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, I I feel like I have uh, what I need to be able to, you know, lead the presentation, pull in Loretta and Mark, and then make sure that in the discussion, um, you know, we 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 make sure these points are included and that um, that we find, you know, uh, appropriate times for the members to to really speak directly to the to the board of trustees. So I'm I'm totally satisfied. And if um, there's other other things people want to say, that's that's great as well. But I think we have what we need for tomorrow. Did you tell everybody what time we're slotted for? It's between 6.30 and 7.15 um, tomorrow. Um, Will we get a link, a Zoom link? The link, uh, we can we can send that out tomorrow during the day, yeah, um, yeah. to everyone via email so everyone has it really easily accessible. It's also available on the website. Okay. Um, and, um, and we'll have a 20-minute window in there. So as Richard said, you know, we'll try to be brief and to the point with the presentation and, and make sure that we leave as much of that as possible for, you know, these these really critical points that you all are making. Okay. Good. Are these all our slides? That's it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can we go back to the um yeah, thank you so much. Okay, that was a good presentation, a good talk. Um, now we have um, item E. Um, yeah, David, right? Yeah, Mark, who's going to Howdy. speak? Howdy. Hi, nice to have you back. Great. Um, I'd be happy to just um, do my slideshow. Is that is that okay? Mhm. Um, I made a couple little changes to make it a little bit easier to understand. Um, so I can, if I can share my screen, mm -hmm. let's see if that's possible. I'm going to try. We see your slide. Yep. You, you see the, um, the slide that's already there. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I don't see my things that I can do. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just have, um, because I don't see the belief. Yeah, Brenda has to give you uh, give you the rights to the screen, I believe. I got it, but I just it just isn't showing my um, my PowerPoint. Let me try one more time. See if it's there. Otherwise, I'll just use that. Oh, there it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm overriding Brenda. Uh, <laughs> And I think it looks the same right now. But um, hi, everybody. This has been a fascinating meeting, and it really, it's, it's really exciting to hear um, these discussions. And we're going to go from a, a pretty intense um, discussion and, and presentation to a, a little bit more numbers and data. But, um, but I think it, it, all, it all adds up for a, for a good thing. We're um, taking a look at the larger health center, the larger Alameda County Health Center beyond um, AHS, um, and because you're part of a bigger thing, um, a, count, a bigger countywide um, uh, health care for the homeless program that involves a, a lot of different partners that are all adding up 
to what we are also trying to improve and expand, which is the, the provision of homeless health care services throughout Alameda County for people experiencing homelessness. And um, we'll, this presentation will be, kind of, will be in two, two parts. Um, tonight will be a quick just look at the larger question, the larger our numbers last year, what we did last year overall that you all, that AHS was part of. Um, and then next month, I'll come back again, and we'll look a little bit more in detail at what did, what at, uh, focusing on the Alameda Health System Homeless Health Center part of, of that. And um, we'll have a kind of a, con a conversation about what AHS did last year in, as part of our um, our UDS report. Our, and, and I'll talk a little bit about that right now. Um, UDS is the, is, stands for Uniform Data System, and that's the federal federal government, our overall funders of our health center program. Um, that's what they call the annual report that we that we put together every January and February, and that gives them, we report back to the, the, the federal government our numbers. What did we do last year? How many visits? How many patients? What did the patients look like? What was our staffing like? What was the revenue that we brought in from patients? How much did our services all cost? Um, and throughout the calendar year 2021. Um, so we just put together, and for Healthcare for the Homeless, as you'll see, it's pretty complicated to put these numbers all together because we're, we're a lot of different organizations, people, and programs all working together under the coordination of Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program to try to ensure homeless healthcare throughout the county. So we put that, those numbers together um, a few weeks ago and it's being reviewed by, by the feds and we make corrections and then it's finally finalized in March. So this, these numbers and this, this report is still in its draft form. Um, but I think a good starting point is to say um, what did we how does the, the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Health Center work? And what does it look like? And what do we do? Um, so I'll take a stab at this by saying Healthcare for the Homeless does, there's, there's four, five buckets of our care that we'll, that we'll kind of reflect on right now. The first is what we do, what our Healthcare for the Homeless program, our county employees, um, we're about 30 county employees doing this work. What, do, what care do we provide directly ourselves? Um, what, what do we provide in a referral sense, our contracted care? Um, our street health teams and our, our, that, are, that are generally, co that are contracted by our program and run by our program. Um, AHS as a sub-recipient of our um, Healthcare for the Homeless program and the lifelong, um, as a sub-ORD, um, trust clinic and the primary care there. So I'll go a little bit more detail in those, those little categories. No, it does, oh, there it goes. Um, so what Healthcare for the Homeless program, our, our county staff and employees, what we do ourselves is shelter health services, first of all. We go to shelters and we see that Shelters, congregate housing programs, transitional programs, some recovery programs, some drop-in centers and stuff. We see those 
as really important places where people experiencing homelessness, oftentimes where they land, where they're just starting their, their recovery and their return back to, um, back to housing and out of homelessness, they start in a shelter. We want to make sure that shelters are, are healthy places, there are a place to start the health care journey as well for people, that there, that there's ways that people can get connected to care and that people can get health care services in shelters and programs and that shelters and programs are healthy places to be. So we have staff working on that level, nurses and enabling services workers, community health workers and outreach providers, workers going to shelters and working on that. We also run our own shelter, uh, street health, Team, and that was a, that's a typo on this, this thing. Um, we, our street health team is in Zone 11. That's in um, kind of downtown North Oakland um, t Telegraph Corridor, where we have a team of about six um, providers, um, nurse, MD, um, and outreach providers who go on the streets and do street health um, in that zone or people living on the streets. Um, we provide. We have our staff also leading COVID testing and vaccination services um, and rapid responses to um, to COVID infections throughout throughout the county. Um, we have some of our staff embedded in the Trust Clinic, so we have a psychiat two psychiatrists, a psychiatric nurse practitioner and a um, psychologist doing doing work. They're county employees, but they're working with with cl with the patients of the trust clinic and lifelong medical care so they're embedded in other clinics and we're very much involved in the in the provision of nursing care in the project room key um, that's the covid hotels the safer ground hotels and the isolation and quarantine hotels that, um, throughout um, alameda county we've been a, a big part of that and that's all our direct services and then we move on to our, our referred care, and that's primarily dental and optometry. We have contracts for mobile dental um, services. That's a big mobile dental van that goes to places. We set it up where they're going to go. They go once a week. We support and organize who gets into care and how, and we support um, people experiencing homelessness in their dental treatment um, plan, and we, we support them through weeks of going back to the dental, um, to the mobile dental services that's provided by on-site dental. Um, we have another dental program that we contract with. We pay, a, we pay La Clinica Dental to treat people in their clinic, and we also do that kind of support work because we, we realize that it's, it's, it's not enough just to tell people, oh, go to the dental clinic and, and, you'll, and you'll finish your dental care. We have to support a lot of people through their dental, their dental treatment plan. Um, and finally, through Vail Optical, we refer people for, for glasses and optometry care. Um, they, people also can receive um, optometry care and ophthalmological care at AHS, um, but that's, that's a slightly different part of our, this program that we'll get to. Um, we direct, and this has been a huge change in our program over the last five years, but um, we basically carved up the county into 14 different zones. Um, each zone is a um, is a, roughly the same amount of people who are experiencing unsheltered homelessness, and in each zone, our goal was to have a 
a street health team um, working that zone, doing the rounds, finding people that are experiencing unsheltered homelessness, whether they're in camps or in street settings, and providing care for them on a regular basis. Nursing, medical care, and en enabling services, outreach and support services. And that's been going. This last couple years have been the first this last year actually was the first year that we're that we're firing on all cylinders, where there's a team, there are teams working every zone of our county, and that's one of the that's one of the biggest differences about our county and the rest of the country is that that level of of coverage that we have for street health teams, street medicine, street health teams. Um, that's really exciting. Um, so and we carry those out by contracts with lifelong medical care that runs one, two, three, four, five teams in the North County. Tiburcio Vasquez, um, health, another health center that runs three teams in the mid county. Bach Bay Area Community Health that runs a team in the, the deep South County and Abode Street Health, which runs the Livermore and Tri-Valley um, Street Health teams. There's another um, program or another health center called the health clinic called um, Roots Community Health that also runs three other street health teams, but we don't actually direct them or, or pay them directly. But all that, all that all adds up to about 14 different zones of really close, hands-on um, care for people experiencing unsheltered homelessness. Um, I don't see comments or questions, so I'll just have to be interrupted if people do have a have a question to jump in on. Um, a fourth area of our work is the Trust Clinic, which is um, which is operated by Lifelong Medical Care, with some of our staff woven into that. But that's a, a comprehensive medical clinic in downtown Oakland and 14th and Franklin, where people can go to get primary care, substance use services, behavioral health care, housing services, and other and enabling services such as um, benefits advocacy, legal advocacy, and everything that basically people kind of need to get it all together in a clinical setting, and that's called the Trust Clinic. Um, that's run, we pay lifelong to do it, and we kind of make sure they're doing a good job of it um, through close kind of monitoring and, and oversight, and that's a really great partnership. And finally, the, the, the another big part of our Countywide homeless health care services, as you know, are provided by AHS in terms of primary care at Highland, Newark, Hayward, Eastmont Wellness Centers, Your, the mobile health services run by AHS, specialty care services primarily provided at Highland, but also provided at Eastmont um, and Newark and Hayward as well. And what's that bot? Oops. My little screen thing. I miss. I can't. Whoa. I got. Let me go see if I can go backwards. Sorry. I think that last box says, ah, does that say <laughs> dental and um, yes. oral? Okay, good. I can't see that. Yeah, I got a blob in front of it. Dental clinic, yeah. Yeah, so there's a dental clinic. Um, and I would include stuff like um, other types of care that are provided by by AHS in these different settings, including optometry, ophthalmology, behavioral health care, woven into the um, the ambulatory care clinics. So that's the that's the kind of broad picture of our of our health center throughout throughout Alameda County. Um, now focusing a little bit on the numbers. I'm not going to shoot. 
to you. Yeah, last year we served almost 10,000 people in 62, over 62,000 visits. When we think about 10,000 patients experiencing homelessness, we're, we're reminded that patients experiencing homelessness in, in the, the HRSA or the Federal Health and Human Services definition of homelessness also includes the doubled up patients. We estimate somewhere around 35,000 people experiencing that kind of homeless, will experience that kind of homelessness in, a, in, a, in, a, in, the re, in recent years in Alameda County. So we're not serving every single person experiencing homelessness, but we're working towards that, that effort. And so about 10,000 people we touched last year. Um, the type of care that we're providing is, of course, primary care, nursing care, which has grown a lot in the last couple years, specialty care provided by Highland Hospital at Highland AHS, behavioral health, which is increasingly a part part of our care, whether it's at the trust clinic, in AHS clinics, um, in the street health teams, substance use, serv use services, which um, are actually really hard for us to differentiate between behavioral health and primary care and stuff. I think that, but, but includes support, substance use recovery support, all the way to medication-assisted treatment. Um, and everything David, between. Mm -hmm. So under the substance abuse, um, is that servicing people who have dual diagnosis or are they over on the other side? Behavior? Yeah, when, when we start breaking down these HRSA UDS numbers, they they make kind of these, these differentiations. So the, oh. the, the numbers for substance abuse are really types of visits in which Recovery services alone were provided, not by a doctor or a, cl or a clinician, but okay. um, kind of more supportive recovery services. So if it was more behavioral or, or substance abuse or an LCSW providing care to somebody who had dual diagnosis, it's probably going to end up in the behavioral health category. Mm -hmm. If it's medication-assisted treatment, which I kind of mistakenly mentioned under substance abuse, that actually is part of primary care. And so it's, it's really hard to untangle that. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, the, that's kind of what they, how they kind of define that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Dental care, optometry care, and then enabling services are a big part of our care, and that's the outreach and support that people get along the way. Um, the additional stuff beyond the clinical care that, that, that we're getting from community health workers, health coaches, et cetera, throughout our system of care. So a lot of different, a lot of visits. That's the most visits we've ever had in a year mm -hmm. last year. And if we look at over the years, um, this is kind of our, our chart, somewhere around, you know, somewhere between 7,500 7, and 10,000, almost 11,000 people we'll serve in a year. Last year it was 10,000. And the visits numbers is just going up and up and up. So we're seeing more people, but we're also touching them a lot more in a lot more different ways, if you, if you notice that change over time. Um, this is more, more information, just kind of checking us out from 2021 last year to 2020. Um, most of our numbers went up last year 
for um, visits, medical care, telehealth, enabling, behavioral visits, all of those went up last year. Um, HS numbers, which we'll look at in more detail in the next meeting, went down slightly in numbers of visits, um, up a little bit in numbers of patients, and mobile health stayed about the same over the, over, has been about the same over the last few years. Um, our trust clinic is at its max um, and isn't, isn't going to be growing for many more patients or many more visits until the actual space or numbers of clinics increases. So that's pretty much saturated. Um, our street health numbers went way up last year as we've, like I mentioned, we've, we're firing on all cylinders. We've got all the teams out there doing the work. Um, so we almost doubled our, our patients our visits, and we're seeing a lot more patients as well. Um, shelter health um, includes the patient care at shelters, and it also includes a lot of our COVID work, um, but not all of it. Mm -hmm. uh, David, uh, uh, Mark. Mark. Hi. Um, we we currently don't have uh, we currently don't have a a, a respite component yet uh, in which to measure, do we? That's correct. Um, Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program does not provide respite care, medical respite care as part, on part, as part of our scope of, of project and, and uh, as our part of our program. Those things are happening. That, that stuff is happening and that's growing around us, but it's something that we're not directly providing or directly contracting with for the provision of. Uh, do you believe uh, that aspect will change <laughs> at, at, as their um, as respite projects uh, come online? That might. Um, it's part of our it's part of our strategic planning is looking into that question. Um, is that something that we want to really be um, driving and providing? Um, are we going to be contracting for it, or is it going to happen in different ways um, through counties and hospital systems providing it. But there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of answer, questions um, that we haven't answered yet regarding that. Um, our dental numbers um, increased last year. Our um, optometry numbers increased last year. Um, our medication-assisted treatment numbers are kind of hovering around the same. I have a feeling there's a lot more going on. It's and it might not be being um, reported as accurately as it as it should. I think our probably our MAT numbers either should be a lot higher or could be a lot higher. Um, and that's that's an important thing. I think we we need to look into across the health center how many people are getting access to services like buprenorphine and med yeah. medication assisted treatment. Um, this is a quick breakdown of the demographics of our of our patients, and I'm having trouble seeing my thing. Oh, there I, now I can move it. Good. Um, just a, a quick look at change over, over the over the last year, or or not change as as it were. Um, we definitely served a lot more sheltered people in homeless shelters last year. Um, and because of the COVID work that we've been so, so focused on, um, that's been a big change for our, our program, is that direct care of um, people living in homeless shelters. And um, 
yeah, a continued focus on the unsheltered care as well. I'm going to keep moving along. So part of our, the, the big part of our report, our, our UDS report is just those patient numbers. Um, but another part is just how many people did it take to do all this work? And this is always really interesting. We get all reports from all of our different partners, our different programs that we contract with, or sub-recipients like AHS, um, sub-awardees like, like, like Lifelong. We put it all together, and we, we say, look, it, took, it was 155 FTEs um, across the, the county um, working on people, we're providing care for people experiencing homelessness. And that's not 150 people. That's hundreds of people. That's probably about four or 500 different people, um, probably about 300 providers in Alameda, Alameda Health System alone, some of whom, like Wanda, are seeing homeless people all the time and doing a lot of care, some, some of whom are just touching a few people per year. But um, all those add up to 155 FTEs. Um, 61 of 61 of whom are AHS employees. Um, our, it cost us about 23 million dollars to do all that care. Um, AHS, their part part of the costs. You are all part of the cost is about 8.3 million dollars. Our grant is about a little over was a little over five million dollars last year, and that included co extra COVID funds and um, that we got specifically to work on our, to, to do emergency COVID services. Um, AHS is part of that, that federal grant is, is over $600,000. Um, when we looked, when we asked all of our providers, including AHS, how much were your charges for your care? Not how much did you bill people or did you charge people, but what did it, you know, what did it, what did you, what were your costs per visit as if you were charging the people the, the costs that they that that they would go that they would be charged for a, for a medical visit say for example if they were getting um, they had insurance or whatever uh, Medicaid Medicare Medicare um, or private insurance all of those charges are a little over 12 million dollars and AHS is part of that is a little over is nine and a half nine point six million dollars in charges. Total amounts collected by Medicaid, Medi-Cal, Medicare, um, and some private insurance was six million dollars. So that's been a big difference in our in our health center work in the, over the last few years is really making sure that if we're providing medical care, our providers we want to see that they're actually getting paid. By Medi-Cal, Medicaid, Medicare um, for for the the, the the care that they're providing, and that that money can go back into supporting and expanding our care. So um, overall, six million dollars was collected by our overall health center. HS that was about three and a half million dollars reported to us. And then there's other revenue, so that can come from in the in the case of um, healthcare for the homeless, it comes from. Alameda County Mental Health Services Act is a big um, the millionaires tax is, is statewide um, funds that go that comes comes to us and other um, county um, funding as well through the Office of Homeless Care and Coordination. Um, AHS has a lot of other revenue that they bring in about four million dollars. 
that supports your all um, efforts as well. And then there's a certain amount of money that could be collected, might be collected, or won't be collected, and that's a, a that charges that just won't ever get um, collected, especially sliding scales and stuff like that. Um, that just money that we just say that's how much it cost us, but we're not going to be able to collect that. It's about five million dollars. Um, that's a quick look at kind of the, the non-clinical data. Mm-hmm. And then the quick takeaways just from 2021, like I've mentioned before, that some of the key things are. Our street health teams are in full operation. We're seeing a lot of people in unsheltered settings. We've got all those teams out there working hard and doing a lot of nursing and enabling care visits throughout Alameda County. And that's just that's just an incredible to, to watch that. And I know it, we kind of figured out that that was going to be something that we did about five years ago. Damon was in the very beginnings of that. And it's come to its fruition. So a lot of that is really in full bloom right now, the street health work. Um, Another thing for us that we're really happy about is our shelter health work, that we're now taking a pause a bit. Hopefully COVID changes into something not quite so pressing and urgent and, and allows us to shift gears a little bit, but we can also look back at the last year and, and see, yeah, we vaccinated Yeah, we either provided testing or vaccinations to over 4,000 people experiencing homelessness last year. We provided 5,500 COVID tests to people experiencing homelessness and 2,600 people experiencing homelessness directly vaccinated by us and our partners, including you all. And all of that vaccination isn't really part of our UDS report. They don't, the, the feds don't look at nursing care like testing and and immunizations as part of our reportable visits but it's been a big part of our work last year Um, the important thing for us is the continued expansion of our enabling services getting community health workers case managers health coaches out there Um, the increase in an importance of behavioral health care psychiatry psychology lcsws and the trust clinic um, more information about um, COVID. I repeated it. it was so information I re- so important. I repeated it. Excuse me there, but um, yeah. Overall, yeah, that was just the, the numbers I gave before were part of our UDS numbers, and then our non-UDS numbers were even more COVID tests. Nine thousand tests placed, fifty-six hundred vaccinations, and that would include non-homeless people, staff especially of shelters and other providers. Um, We carried out 243 responses to outbreaks in shelters and encampments. And of course, we're meeting our weekly community um, COVID calls for all all providers throughout the county. For the last two years, we've been doing that. Um, Telehealth continues to grow. It's a big part of AHS's services and a big part of the trust clinic. And we're looking into how to build telehealth into shelters, to build kiosks in shelters, to expand the possibility for people to get access to providers through through telehealth, wherever they are. Um, we saw an, a rebound from the COVID kind of dip in dental and optometry, and we're excited about the rollout of AHS mobile dental care services that you all have been a big part of. Um, 
We saw finally the AHS had reduced numbers in the in the last couple of years since the um, since the kind of the creation and really focus on on the homeless registry and on and really at properly screening for homelessness and capturing truly people experiencing homelessness and improving that. Um, so there are there are some kind of dips in the in those overall numbers over time, and we're we're really interested in your all strategic planning and how you're looking at care and you know what does what does how important are the just overall numbers or what it is that you all are focusing on in your care um, instead of just getting big numbers to give to us you're focusing on on things like where is it most important to provide that care so I'm, it's really exciting to hear your strategic planning work and your your work on that and we're we're part of your discussions discussing with Damon and Heather regularly about this getting check-ins and hearing about that and kind of building that into our overall health center effort making sense of that so that's the end of the quick overview of healthcare for the homeless our countywide 2021 UDS um, report for the year uh, I hope that didn't that was interesting <laughs> part of <a> big <laughs> I know it's right. a lot of information, so thanks for putting up with it. I, this is Mark. I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, um, I was wondering, David, um, how much effort, if any, is being put into uh, making sure that uh, patients um, that we're seeing uh, at the George Clinic or, or any other facility, uh, is there any effort uh, being done to continue to look at the eligibility of, of patients as we get them. Um, I'm thinking of new patients, including patients that are already in the system um, that may qualify for Medicare, Medicaid, or SSI that are currently not receiving the, uh, those benefits. Uh, how much effort is being put into trying to uh, actually um, assist people uh, in uh, accessing those benefits, uh, they're in turn are, um, giving us the ability uh, to continue to bill for care. Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, that's a big part of the trust clinic. We have partnerships with, um, with what we call medical legal partnership. Um, and at one clinic, People, people know that they're going to get care. They're going to, if they're disabled, they they can put in a they can they can get support putting in a um, disability application and get their um, medical care to justify and document their disabilities. And mm -hmm. that that medical legal partnership um, is is something that we want to see expanded um, throughout throughout our systems of care in in different ways. Um, you know, looking at, at the health advocates, the violent <laughs> advocates and the advocates at AHS as a possible way of doing that and looking, in, looking into that and building that into our, um, our street health teams as well. I think that effort is really important because it, it will give us the ability 
yeah. if we if we're able to sign eligible uh, um, patients up for those benefits, uh, that's money that's not coming out of uh, completely out of uh, um, the the budget of our of our services. Uh, in which case, uh, we can expand more services to more people as a result. That's correct. The key word is advocate. <laughs> we need more advocates. <laughs> Do you notice the difference between the street teams that are tied to the trust clinic and the street teams that don't have, a, you know, specifically designed homeless clinic that's sort of backing them up? Maybe also the street teams tied to Roots, which also kind of has a, a more specific programmatic orientation that's that's integrated across the spectrum of the street team and the clinic versus the ones yeah. that you contract out separately. Any, any difference in those? I can't, I can't answer that question. Um, I don't really know. I don't have anything to, to, to offer in that question. It's a really good question. Um, things have been, have changed a lot. Like we, we don't, we don't see, for example, it, roots. We don't see their, their kind of data and their outcomes. Um, and each of, each of the, the teams that we work with, like lifelong, um, Bach and, um, Abode and try try Tiburcio, they're all so different and their their structures are so different. Um, yeah, that's a great question though. I don't, I'm just gonna let, um, get back to you on that. This is Mark again, uh, piggybacking on what Damon just asked. Um, uh, is the, uh, how open um, are the other uh, uh, partners? And uh, giving us um, information in, in regards to their their own numbers, so uh, we have a clear picture of, of what exactly they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, how much, in other words, um, how much is data sharing being encouraged, and um, how important do you think data sharing is? I think it's important uh, that we do share data uh, across all partnerships, uh, just to know what the uh, just, just for the right hand, and know what the left hand is doing uh, collectively. Um, it was, I think it's important, and I'm just wondering um, how open to data sharing are our partners? Well, there's, yeah, there's two. There's kind of two levels on that. One is what they report to us. How many people did we see? What were their? What were they seen for? What were their outcomes? Um, and the other thing is data sharing. What? Where did those people go? Where were they seen? What was going on for, for them? Um, where did they go to the hospital? Did they um, get involved, connect with a, a primary care medical home and get connected to housing and benefits advocacy? Those kind of larger questions. And we're still, we're still circling in on that, trying to figure out how to do that data sharing through, through our county electronic health records, the community health record, the EPIC um, systems and stuff, and we're, we're still trying to like get on top of that. And that's gonna be something over the next couple years that we are definitely looking into and trying to, to fix. 
next month, we'll do a little bit deeper dive into the AHS numbers. And um, I want to thank you all for um, being a part of our health center, our larger um, efforts. This is a really great, great meeting. I'm really happy to have heard everything in this meeting so far. Well, we're back on. Thank you, David. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you, David. Well. Okay. All right, now we're, uh, we're going to take a turn to um, uh, letter F, which is going to be Heather talking about self-pay analysis. And go ahead, Heather. Take it hey, away. Thank you so much. Um, so there is a memo here. Uh, we have been working on understanding our self-pay patients for our homeless health center for quite a while. And I do appreciate your patience as we've tried to figure out our systems and how we can get this information in the most uh, organized and understandable way possible. And so um, I think this memo is pretty descriptive in uh, what it is we did. Um, and how we went about trying to um, identify those patients who were true self-pay patients and any burden that was on patients who were self-pay for um, the purpose of this report. Um, and so just as a little description in the second paragraph of the background, um, you can see that we have our sliding scale fee program, which you guys had recently approved for the Homeless Health Center. And that um, we also have the charity care program. And the charity care program is the program that's used and applied to things outside of the homeless health center. And then the sliding fee discount program is that thing that's applied within the homeless health center. So all of the ambulatory care um, services. And remember, um, it has like a one, the two, the three, or the four dollar um, charge per visit related to that sliding fee discount program. And so we have a feature in Epic that allows us to identify self-pay patients. So the sliding fee discount program generally applies to self-pay patients more than anything else. And so we're able to find those self-pay patients because at the time of registration, we click a box that says that they are self-pay. Um, and so I used one of the tools in Epic, it's called Slicer Dicer. And I pulled out all of those patients that had the self-pay designation along with the homeless health registry. So that's what I was filtering for, and I used specific dates for calendar year 2021. So if the patient had a visit in 2021 within the Homeless Health Center, and they were on the registry, and they were designated as self-pay, then they fed into this report that, that we created, okay? Um, and then if you look down at the analysis, it talks a little bit about what we found when we ran that report, which is for calendar year two, uh, 2021. We had 278 people who were in the homeless registry and who were identified as self-pay. Those were 278 individual patients. And they were identified during about 303 different 393 different encounters. And primarily those were at the um, mobile health clinic. The mobile health clinic is the is one of our delivery systems that serves more patients experiencing homelessness proportionally than other areas in our system. And we have made it very explicit that regardless of your 
ability to pay and whether you have insurance or not, you will be seen and you will not be charged. And so even if a patient, we've built in an extra protection at mobile health, it says that no bills will go out to patients. Um, so when we looked at the details of the report, none of the patients who were seen at mobile health clinic received any bills and none of those bills are kind of applied to the patient record either, right? So not only did the patient not receive the bill, that bill is not living in the patient record. So that balance is clear. If you move um, a little bit further down in the analysis, you'll see that the total amount that was initially identified as self-pay for patients experiencing homelessness was about $2,500 total. And that was for six different patients within our homeless health center. Um, they happened in a couple different places, uh, orthopedics, urgent care, hematology, and neurology. Um, none of them happened in any of our primary care clinics. So that was interesting. If you slide down to the next um, page, you'll see kind of where the self-pay patients are landing. Like kind of where do we see self-pay patients most frequently getting services? <laughs> 393 different visits. So it's not that we don't have self-pay people in primary care. We do also, but there weren't any balances or charges on any of those patients' accounts. So they were cleared by the time this report was run. Um, also, what we found was, um, and if you go, this is where you'll see the 2400 like what the actual sum amount was. But if you roll back up into the analysis, just a minute, I do want to point out that the um, that all of them uh, had some for, sort of coverage. So although they were identified initially as self-pay patients and so they landed in the report, when we reviewed each of the patient charts, we found that they did have a form of insurance coverage that was later applied. So oftentimes a patient will come in and they won't have coverage in that moment. They won't have seen the financial counselor yet. And so um, self-pay is applied and then they get their coverage later and they'll have to slide back onto their visit. And so then we do the process of billing the, uh, the insurer. And that can take some time before that balance moves from patient to the um, insurer. That's what we found. <laughs> Anybody have any questions? I do want to reiterate that these were charges for patients within the homeless health center only. Um, and that there is a group at Alameda Health System that's working very hard on all self-pay patients and identifying patients throughout Alameda Health System who are self-pay patients who have an overwhelming, overwhelming financial burden and also applying the homeless registry where appropriate into those uh, places outside of um, the homeless health center that also alleviates that burden. There's a lot of work being done on that. I think it's important that we do review this. Um, we do find that there are errors. So I have run this report before, found a patient experiencing homelessness with a balance and then reached out to our billing team and they're able to um, adjust the charges. And so uh, it's, an, it's still an imperfect system and in progress. And there is a lot of, it's not just system driven. Right, so it's still sometimes based on individual identification of some patients and to, and to help make that system work for them. We're trying to make it more system driven that um, things would automatically happen the way they do, for example, at the mobile health clinic 
patients are automatically not charged based on being at the mobile health clinic. We don't have similar system-wide um, mechanisms throughout our system for health pay patients. So that's something that we're looking at. Do you guys have any feedback on how frequently you might want to see a report like this on health pay? That's a good question. Um, is this the first? Is this the first time this report has been generated since we've been a, a board, or now? Yes, this is. So this is a newer development. Um, it was requested quite a long time ago. This is something we've been working on getting for a while now. So this is the first time we're reporting it. The first time we've been able to analyze it and get it back to you. So that's one of the reasons we did it for the full calendar year as well for 2021. Um, it's something that we may be able to do periodically for you. Um, I, I would also want to keep in mind, though, that um, doing it too close to visits sometimes uh, will generate inaccurate information, right, where a patient is still in the process of getting financially screened or going through the process of getting something applied to their account. Um, so my recommendation would be that maybe it's every six months for, for um you know, a six-month window prior, mm -hmm. but not the, the window that may be immediately prior. So there may be some sort of schedule that makes sense to us. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good to, to me as well. Um, every six yeah, months, uh, it would be good to hear. Okay. Is Thanks so much. Is this something we need to uh, vote, vote on as a board in terms yeah. of the Okay. No, no, this isn't an action item. I'm just asking for feedback. We've developed the report, and I, I'm just figuring out how to provide it to you in a in a re reasonable cadence within our within our system. So that's fine. But and we can always, out, it always be revisited. Yeah, I would just want to zoom out really quickly and just talk about how like critical the registry is for this, and how you know the the times before this where Heather and I tried to. You know, mostly Heather and 2% me trying to, like, fill this request. We were looking at spreadsheets that had, like, data in it that we didn't really believe and, you know, came from all these different places, and it just, we couldn't do this. And then when the registry was, you know, invested in and created, it really made possible this analysis, which is just, like, central to what the health center is supposed to do, right? Mm -hmm. Provide care for all, regardless of ability to pay. And so earlier messier versions of this um i was more scared that we were that we were that we weren't fulfilling that responsibility as well as we should be and i think as heather said there's always room for improvement but i was really reassured when i first saw this analysis um, that i think we're, we're doing pretty well um within the health center on this so the, the people that um the patients that visit the health clinic um, are they also screened by somebody for the possibility of being eligible for health insurance? At mobile health clinics? Yeah. Yeah, generally, if they're going to be moving from mobile health clinic into the, any of the four walls, um, and if they, if they truly do not have any coverage, then they would be um, given a financial counseling appointment so that they can, they can be in that system and also not get charged, right? Like, 
This is right. one of the challenges we've found from mobile health clinic is that sometimes patients need lab work, and as soon as they show up right. on island to get their labs done, then suddenly there's a charge that they can't afford because they didn't do the financial screening. So we're always trying to get people the coverage first, and, and that is definitely Alameda Health System wants to make sure that not just this visit is covered, but all of your visits are covered no matter where you go. Um, right. So, so that is their that is their intent. Okay. And there are some things that our PSR, our patient services representative, right on mobile can apply to the patient's um, account pretty immediately, even without the full financial um, financial visit. Mm -hmm. That's good. Thank you, Heather. Sure. Linda, can we go back? Yeah, thank you so much. <clears throat> okay. Um, Heather, on uh, G, was that included in the last? Uh, presentation you gave? No, we're going to do program report next. This is just your standard program okay. report. A quick, okay. a quick glance at what's what's latest and greatest, mostly at mobile health and also some other things. Um, so just wanted to give a quick uh, update. Um, I know that we've had some meetings that have included the Highland Campus FQHC billing. Um, we've had some conversations about that. So we did resume our FQHC billing at the Highland Campus at all of the areas that had uh, previously been temporarily suspended. So that includes our specialty and dental clinics. Um, they've part, been part of our scope of services for a long time, but there was this uh, period of time with which we uh, suspended the billing while we negotiated with the state. Uh, so that negotiation is still ongoing. It's just fine. It's in its final stages. So you will get a, a further report on that in the future. Um, once it's finalized, but um, we were given the go-ahead to resume the billing, and that started on March 1st, 2022. And in order to do that, there was a lot of work that was involved in doing that to make sure that our our system bills correctly. And so Kathleen Horner was deeply involved in sometimes creating uh, some some new names for things and some departments in our in our financial system. So it's all back of the Back of the uh, in the back office stuff going on, nothing in the front office. <laughs> Patients shouldn't necessarily see a difference, but some of our staff did see a difference and had to do some work a little bit differently for a while, and they did a great job at doing that so that they could launch on March 1st and resume billing for FQHC at Highlands. Um, then you can see our mobile health stats for the month of February. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that they did, um, they're a little bit low. Last month we had uh, several days in which our van was not able to go out just because of people's schedules and in some cases because of repairs that were happening. So recently the, the uh, mobile unit's refrigerator went out and, and the refrigerator is an important tool for managing our vaccines and so it had to go in for repairs and it did get repaired recently so they're very excited to have their new refrigerator um, a couple other things were going on with it so it was out of service for a few days and a few days makes a big difference for our overall monthly numbers and then you want to scroll down 
There's, there's, you can see our chart. Wanted to give a shout out also to the racial equity work that's happening in ambulatory care as well. Um, they're participating in two-day racial equity institute training, and several members of our homeless health center are participating in that as well. Some who've already attended, and some that will in the future. Yet, um, there are about I think there are either three or four different times that this is taking place. So I wanted to let you know what was happening. And then in the leadership and advocacy, I'll just point out the main thing that was added, which uh, Dr. Francis already announced, was his, his acceptance of the position to cover uh, primary care for ambulatory care as the lead. So mm -hmm. that is, that's in that really long paragraph. It's a lot of, we keep helping other places, but it's good for us. Thank you. Um, Heather? Yes, yes Mark. Um, Sorry to interrupt. I just want to uh, ask you a question about uh, the racial equity um, mm -hmm. training, institute training. Um, what do you do? You know what exactly the curriculum uh, comprises of? I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it to my friend Damon because he's already attended. I go next month or later this month. Actually, I attend later this month. Yeah, it's uh, the Racial Equity Institute is a national organization that uh, conducts trainings, really that um, focus on what uh, structural and systemic racism look like. It has some elements, um, you know, that focus on understanding implicit bias and kind of personal, um, uh, you know, uh, elements of racism, but the bulk of the training is focused on understanding the history of how race developed, like why race developed as a concept, how it's been used in the United States, and how it's sort of integrated into our systems of housing and criminal justice and health and continues to produce, um, you know, uh, these, these uh, disparities in, in outcomes, for, uh, particularly for African Americans, but also for other, other populations and groups. Um, so that's, that's the that's the thrust of it. It's a two day training. It's conducted kind of via like a oral history format, um, and uh, it's meant to be a foundation for organizations to have a shared understanding of what it is they're really trying to do if they're trying to undo racism. Um, I think you know it, it, the the focus of the institute is really to shift people from this idea that like. Racism is about bad individual people doing bad things to other individual people primarily to a focus on, you know, racism is something that's kind of embedded in the world around us. And how can you as an organization, all your people kind of understand that so that you're targeting the real problem um, that is the, the, the main thrust of how racism is driving bad outcomes now. No, okay. Thank you. Okay. We don't, do we have any public comment? This is Mark again. I don't really have a public comment, um, but I was going to ask um, as we adjourn tonight if uh, Brenda is there, uh, can Brenda hold on and Damon hold on? Um, I just need to uh, discuss a little bit about tomorrow. Everything. Yes. Okay. Any other board member comments? 
Okay, then our meeting is adjourned at 734. Thank you very much. Everyone. Thank you, everyone.